Wonderful. Thank Kevin. Thanks, worship team. Thank you, Kids Church, for looking after our kids. But I pray a real freshness of the Spirit of God upon us is physically right now. Because it is hot, these bodies do get tired and are affected by it. But I pray that your spirit man will be hungry for God's words and your spirit ears are open. In Jesus' name. So if you are doing this in your, in your seat, your head's going like this. I am interpreting that you are agreeing with everything that I say. Not that you're nodding off. Okay, cool. <laughs> uh, sure. So last week I spoke, started on, is there a secret? You know, so often Paul writes about the mysteries. But the reason why we got the word of God is because nothing's a secret. All you have to do is start digging in there and God's going to start to reveal to us his heart, his plan, his mind, his purpose, his entire desires and intention. Yes? Yeah, that's true. So that's why he gives us his word. And so just a little bit of a review because we are preparing for our prayer and fasting. We wanted to do it and then realized maybe we don't know much about it or, or we are in different places. So rewind a little bit. We're speaking about it and we are launching it one of these days. We're going to do a couple of more building blocks into that. So are you ready? Are you ready to pray and fast? Uh, I hope that every week goes by, the yoo-hoo, it gets louder and louder, louder. So, launched off last week with 1 Corinthians 3, 10, where Paul says, I have laid the foundation and others build on it. And he says this, but let each one take heed how he builds on it. So, in other words, we have a foundation, but we have to be careful how we build because we can build wrong on top of that. And so what we are trying to understand the word on, on how God wants us to build. What are the things he wants us to build into our lives so that we can become strong, that we become robust. When, when the enemy comes in like a flood, we know, still know how to stand. That when the storm is gone, we're still there. Yeah? I want to be there. And so we looked at Matthew chapter 6, and we read a lot, but I'm just... Quickly highlighting the whole thing. In verse 1 it says, Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from my Father in heaven. Verse 2, but when you give. So he's highlighting. And you're going to see three when you's over here. So when it says when you, is that a suggestion or is that an expectation? It's an expectation. So God is expecting you and I to be good givers. And Tennis, you did a good job in, with our teaching tonight. Then he says in verse 5, and when you pray, prayer meetings are the worst attended meetings in any part of church life. And because you were silent, your answer was yes. Because it's, it's not the most exciting place to come to. So that's why when we come to prayer meetings, we need to participate so it does become exciting. Because if you stand on the outside, then it's just going to be a boring meeting. And so it says that when you pray, don't be like a hypocrite. And he goes on. In fact, he goes right on. And then he teaches us how to pray. Many people call it the Lord's Prayer. But it's actually the believer's prayer because he's teaching us how to pray. He's giving us a skeleton there. In fact, we might even go to that soon. And, and just expand that thing to give us some content in our prayer. And then verse 16, it says, when you fast. So some of you, if you don't like it, take a scissors and just chop that piece of the page out of your Bible so that you don't have to read that. When you fast, don't be like hypocrites. 
And so what we also understand is that thing, things don't just fall into place. When you're hungry for something, you've got to fight for it. I don't know about you, but I'm hungry for, the, for everything that God has intended for me. I'm hungry for that. So there's sometimes I'm going to have to fight for that because the enemy wants to keep me out of that. And so therefore I do stuff that will help me walk in that. Never said it's going to be an easy road. And it says fight the fight of faith. So in other words, just walking in faith is a challenge. And remember this, public disciplines will be seen, I mean private disciplines will be seen publicly. Our time with the Lord, our time in the Word will start to overflow and it will be noticed. Paul writes to Timothy and he says, let your, let your growth be evident to all. God's warning us so people can see we are growing. And then we looked at, do we need breakthrough? Was it Darren, the young guy that, Darian, Darian. So what an amazing testimony that, that of how guys got together. He's been struggling with a couple of things, and they prayed. But afterwards, I spoke to him, and he said that he fasted, and the people that prayed with him fasted as well. And I thought, man, if I had known that, that would have given me more ammunition for my point last week. And he, I mean, he was so nervous and all that kind of stuff. And, and we saw what God can do when you allow him to. But we're just seeing, do we need breakthrough? And, and just one scripture that, that really excited me when I, I, I read it. In Luke 4, it says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days. And the end of it, he was hungry. Down to verse 14. Remember, when you do something, there is always a purpose at the end of it. And verse 14 says this, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. He was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. He came out of it in the power of the Spirit. I don't know about you, but God needs a church that's full of its power in these days. And we're those guys. We are. Hallelujah. So, we landed over there. If you want to know more detail, you'll have to go and listen to the recording if it's up on the webpage. Is there a secret number two? Point number two, what needs to die? You can hear now, this is going to be a lovely time together. What needs to die? And um, Josh Jen's statement, dying to live. <laughs> the Bible talks about the, the, the parable of the seed, unless it falls into the ground and it dies. It bears, it stays alone. But if it will die, it will bear, it will grow into something and bear great fruit. When you and I die to ourselves, when we die to our agenda, when we become this living stone in the hand of the Lord, it's amazing what comes out of ordinary me and you. In Exodus 20, verse 4, God says this in the Ten Commandments that, that he gave um, um, Moses. He says, you shall not make for yourself an idol. And what's an idol? Something that holds a higher place than God himself in your and my life. So if anything holds something, more, a more prominent place in your and my life than God, that thing needs to die. Ooh, that's painful. 
Paul says this in Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Can you and I confidently say that tonight? It's no longer I that live, but it's Christ that lives in me. Have you found that life can be hectic? Have you noticed it's kind of like something's chipping away at you? I'm trying to find somebody that will like identify with me a little bit over here. It's painful. And sometimes we want to justify stuff. Or am I the only guy? Yes. So what are the things that need to die? There's lots. But two main important things that I feel are going to be very key in our future. The first one that I have to die to is my thinking. My thinking. Romans 12, 2. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. You're living in the world and the mold of the world wants to squeeze you into something that the world wants you to be. That's what you and I are fighting against all the time. So he says, don't conform to that pattern, but be transformed. And how are you and I going to be changed? How are you and I going to break out of that mold? It says there, by the renewing of your mind. Renewing of your mind. In other words, my way of thinking, it doesn't line up with the way God thinks. And I hopefully I'm going to touch on an illustration or two just now that's going to show you that me and you don't line up with God's word. And so therefore, I need to change and become the... Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good and pleasing and perfect will. You see, the world can shape you and I as long as it can keep you and I in our old carnal, our fleshly nature. If it can keep us there, it can shape us. That's why Jesus comes and he lives on the inside of you. Now, so there's something that I, that I experienced. When I moved from Zimbabwe to South Africa, I got to find out that I couldn't keep thinking like I was if I wanted to make South Africa home. Do you know why? Because you don't have Bon Marche here. And you don't have, what is another? See, I've been out of there so long now, I don't even can't remember all the things. You know, you've got Spar and Woolworths and Checkers and that, that, that. There it's Bon Marche and Meekles and, and all those. You'll, I, I would never find my way around if I was still in Zimbabwe head. I'm sure some of you have spoken to some people that have migrated down when life was chaotic up there. And... You had heard the statement, when we were. So they called us when we's. I have never been a when we. Thank you, Jesus. I am a now. And so here's the thing. I made up my mind. I am not going to be a when we. I will talk about Zimbabwe because of the memories I have and the, um, the amazing places and all that kind of stuff. And the, and the things that I went through. That you can't, you can't change that. But I don't long back for there. This is home for me. And so when I talk about South Africa, I talk about home. I have many family members that moved down, and they've been here for years, in fact, longer than I have, and they've never been able to make South Africa home. Why? Because they never immigrated in their thinking. They immigrated their body, but their thinking never did. And many of us, we come into the church, but we've never immigrated in our head. 
got to change our thinking. Because my selfish nature that comes from sin is just bound about me, my comfort, what I like, what I want, I, I, it's I. If you spell sin, it's S-I-N. The very center and the core of sin is I. It's all about me. My world becomes tiny when it's just about me, 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 me. In 2 Corinthians 10, 5, it says, casting down arguments. I know you've never had an argument in your head, but men, I had a lot. <laughs> I've had a lot of those things. I even spoke to my, I speak to myself every now and then. So don't, don't listen. To, <laughs> no, let's leave that one alone. Don't, casting down arguments and head, listen here, high, every, every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bring every thought. How many thoughts? Every thought, everything I've got to put through a filter system, bring every thought to into captivity to the obedience of Christ. God, what do you want from me? So this was my language before I moved to South Africa. The first time I came to South Africa was when I was 15. I loved the sweets. I loved all those kind of things. I loved the sea. I, loved, I mean, it was amazing. You walked into the shops and they're like, wow, there's, there's, there's just so much here, whatever. But it was this. I never want to live here because I loved the way of life there. And I prayed to the Lord. I said, Lord, I never want to live in South Africa. But if by any chance you, please, it mustn't be Joburg because I just drove through Joburg. And I thought, forget that this is not, this is not life over here. So guess what God does in his absolute humor? He moves me to South Africa, and he lands me in Joburg. That's the starting point. So I learned, don't say never to Jesus, because guaranteed, he wants to see whether I will arrest that argument in my head. So the one big lesson that you and I are going to learn is I cannot serve God, enjoy his benefits, fulfill his purpose, thinking my way. We will never get there. You will stay where you're at. You will say I'm saved. You will come to church. You will do it. But your life will never change because we have to start to dismantle my thinking, my ways, whatever that is, and say, that's why Jesus on the cross, he said, not my will, but your will be done, Lord. Surrendering ourselves to that very thing. And just like I would never be able to make South Africa home if I never changed my thinking, I am telling you that you will never be able to make home in church if you don't change your thinking. This will never become home. You'll come in, you'll come out, you'll go up, you'll go down, you whatever, but your progress will not be seen because you're, you're, you're still stuck in the world. Isaiah 55, 8 says, My thoughts, this is God speaking, he says, my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. So he's telling us very straight. He says, if you want to come and understand me, you're not. Tell me how it makes sense. The world says you want money, save. You come to church and it says give. Totally opposite. But yet in my obedience to give, it's amazing how God opens doors, how God blesses, how God supplies. He does, he does even more than what you were able to do when you could save. Why? Because he says, my ways are not. When you and I will learn in our thinking to honor God and, and not fight him, we will see God doing amazing things in our life. A person's thinking and believing are connected.
your thinking and your believing are connected. And you cannot think one way and believe something totally different. That's why in Proverbs 23, 7, the first part, it says, as, For as he thinks in his heart, so is he. I said our thinking and our believing is connected. As a man thinks in his heart. The Bible says you come to Jesus, says if you'll confess him and believe in your heart, you'll be saved. In Proverbs 4.23, it says, above all else. Now, here comes the thing. Guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. So we see our heart is connected to that. So here comes the, here comes the story now. How many of you, when you've been hurt, think straight? I'll give you a wonderful illustration. And you know, sometimes God puts us on his panel beating table so that he can sort us out. You know that. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm pastoring the church in Clarkstorp and um, been there for a while. And one of the, the, the people in the church says, Joe, pastor, can you help me with a drill? They call you pastor there. So just telling you the story as it was. So I said, no problem. I said, but look after it, number one. Bring it back to me, number two. No problem. He takes it. He wants to hang up pictures in his house. Da-da-da-da. Week one went by. Week two went by. Week three, can I have my drill back? I need to do some stuff. Yes, I'll bring it to you. Week four went by. Week five went by. Week six went by. I'm saying, hey, bro, come now. This is like, I'll come to your house. I'm not there right now, but, but I'll, I'll get it to you. Two months later, I find out he sold my drill. It wasn't the cheapie that you bought on Take A Lot. Because I, when I bought stuff, I bought expensive stuff. So it was, a, it was heavy duty. It cost me a lot of money. So here I am in church every Sunday. I'm preaching and Bawiki's sitting right over here. <laughs> and then I read these crazy scriptures of in Luke 6, 35. It says, love your enemies, do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great and you will be children of the Most High because He is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. I still haven't got my draw back. And I, <laughs> to be honest with you, I'd get inside here, and before I would start opening my bread, Jesus, will you whack that guy there, please, for me? <laughs> no. <laughs> you want to borrow my car? No. <laughs> Uh, sure. Every single one of us, there are people that have offended you, people that have done stuff, people that have cut you, people that have embarrassed you in public, people that have treated you badly. And I guarantee that every single one of us have these thoughts that are running around. And the Bible calls us to take those things captive. And if you will pray for them. And so eventually I, got to, I went to that guy and I said, you know what, I, I release you. From my drill. Whatever you did with it, that's on your conscience, but I release you today. And then I found I could stand up over here and see him over there and, and have peace in my heart that it was over. It wasn't an issue any longer. Was it easy? No, no, no. You don't understand the war that was going on on the inside. If I could sneak into a dark alley one night, I would have, I would have, I would have. Which brings me to the second point. 
<laughs> the second point of what needs to die is my flesh or my will. My flesh. Now, that when we pray, I mean, when we're going to fast, you're going to find out that your flesh is very alive. And most of our life is driven by our flesh. What it shouts for, we give it. When it's hot, like now, jeez, if I could only have an air conditioner, da, 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 da. if it's cold, yoo, get jackets and jerseys and what, 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 and the fire. We are always living. Now, you've got to be, when I'm talking here, I'm not talking about you must go and sit in the cold and freeze to death. That's not going to benefit anybody. But I'm just using it as a principle in the sense of we jump for our flesh when our flesh shouts. And we need to bring our flesh under control. Yes, you need to be warm. Because you, you, you actually are no use to anybody dead, by the way. So, so we need to be clever on this one. But we're going to get to find out that our, our flesh has a voice. It shouts very loud and it wants to control. <laughs> we knew somebody that whenever you'd fast, you'd go and find a bakery or a confectionery shop of something. You know the aroma that comes out of there. Now, you don't notice it until you fast. And then you're walking down the street. And then, you, and then all of a sudden, it can be 10 blocks away. But somehow the wind brings it to exactly where you are. So he would go and put himself in the doorway, take a huge breath, and then say, die, flesh, die. And then he would walk away. <laughs> uh. What was, the, what was the thing that was instrumental in plummeting humanity and the whole human race to sin? Adam and Eve. The fruit. The flesh. In fact, they ate themselves out of house and home. No, that went, I can see it's... <laughs> <laughs> what was happening before God sent the flood? Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew twenty four thirty eight. It says, For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark. There was a cry for everybody to come. And they were so involved in their eating and their drinking and their living up their life that they never heard God. They never saw what was coming. It blinded them almost. When you say Sodom and Gomorrah, what do you think of? Ezekiel says this in 1648. As I live, says the Lord, neither your sister Sodom or her daughters have done as you and your daughters have done. Listen to verse 49. Look, this was the iniquity of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters, look here, had pride, fullness of food, and abundance of idleness. Neither did she strengthen the hands of the poor and the needy, and they were haughty, in other words, arrogant, and committed abomination before me. Therefore, I took them away as I saw fit. Now, here's a very interesting thing. The things that they've just pointed out of here. It says that they neither strengthened the hands of the weak. They never gave. Remember Matthew 6? When you give, when you pray, when you fast, Says there, when they, they never strengthened the hands of the weak, there was no giving. Had pride and abundance of idleness, there was no prayer. And a fullness of food, no fasting. Just a thought. In Genesis 25, Isaac's son Esau. So just to not 
read all the, all the details. So what happens is Esau's a hunter, and he goes out there to go and hunt food, and he can't find. Now, um, Jacob was a, a, a guy that stayed at home. And so when he comes back, Jacob's done a lack of stew, and he's hungry. And so what happens is he says to Jacob, give me some food. And Jacob says, you give me your birthright, I'll give you food. And for a plate of food, he sells his birthright. Hebrews chapter 12, 15. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by this many become defiled, lest there be any fornicators or profane person, listen to this, or profane person, that word profane means irreverent, disrespectful and wicked, like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. For you know that afterwards, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, and he found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. Listen to what the Message Bible says. This says, make sure no one gets left out of God's generosity. Keep a sharp eye out for the weeds of bitter, bitter content. A thistle or two gone to seed can ruin a whole garden in no time. Watch out for the Esau syndrome. That word syndrome, disease, disorder, condition, or a pattern. Trading away God's lifelong gift in order to satisfy a short-term appetite. Everything of the flesh is a short-term appetite. How many of you longs for something and then after you've had one or two mouthfuls, it's like, okay, I've had enough. But before that, it's like, if I can just get my hands on the stuff. Condensed milk's like that. <laughs> you will know how Esau later regretted that impulsive act and wanted God's blessing, but, we, but by then it was too late. Tears or no tears. The children of Israel. On their route on the, to the promised land, God feeds the children of Israel with manna every single day. I mean, they are healthy. There's nothing wrong. They've got energy. There's no doctors, I don't think. And, um, but they long for meat. They long for meat. If you're getting food and you're being satisfied, you've got a lot of energy level and everything else. And you, I, mean, I don't think walking through the desert was a very comfortable experience. But the fact that what you eat is strengthening you enough to be able to go through the, then But the other cry out for meat. So Numbers 11, 18, it says, they, Then you shall say to the people, Consecrate yourself for tomorrow, and you shall eat meat. For you have wept in the hearing of the Lord, saying, Who will give us meat to eat? This is talking to all the old blood group people. For it was well with us in Egypt. Therefore, the Lord will give you meat, and you shall eat. You shall eat not one day, not two days, not five days, not ten days, nor twenty days, but for a whole month until it comes out your nostrils. <laughs> and become loathsome to you, because you have despised the Lord who is among you, and have wept before him, saying, Why did we ever come out of Egypt? Because of meat, they wanted to go back to Egypt. They wanted to go back to slavery. They wanted to go there. A little appetite of a flesh that's shouting of something that is missing. Our flesh will always take us back to Egypt, take us back to captivity. Our flesh will destroy us if we will let it rule us. So what needs to... So do we need breakthrough? 
what needs to die. There's lots of other things that can die, but I believe that those are the two most important things, the way you think and our flesh. And we crucify those things. Let me give you one more. Number three, have you seen what can happen when you and I fast? It's always the why. Why are we doing this? Well, I believe that God wants to take you and I as his people and put us into another place, another level of walking in his authority, in seeing his glory. Now, listen, there's no, there's, no, there's no formula. There's no, you do this and this is what I'm going to do. But fasting is a representation of a heart that's humble before God and saying, God, I want everything. I'm prepared to become less so that you can become more. That's what fasting does. So it's a tool. So if you think that you're just going to fast to move the hand of God, don't even go there. But you will, you and I fast so that we can trust God for more. That we can see God touch people and bring transformation. That we will see God save people miraculously. Out of a lifestyle that no, no, no wisdom from any person can get them out of that. Will we trust God for that? So the first one is the very principles and the morals that you and I live by today. In the Ten Commandments, Moses got on the mountain fasting and praying before the Lord. And those things are all knitted in every, fire, every principle that you and I live is in there. We're not bound by the law. We're by grace. But the standard's still there. Don't murder. Don't cheat. Don't lie. Have no other gods before God. The next one that we see about, a, uh, we, we uh, see the nation of Israel, and you can go and read the book of Esther. Esther, a young Jewish girl, lands up in the king's courts as his wife. And, the, and, the, and, and King uh, Xerxes is, is, um, is going to be taking a, a, a road trip. And so he's got a, um, what do they call him? Uh, second in command. And so what happens is he puts Haman as second in command. But, but what he doesn't understand, no, is that Haman has an agenda. And his agenda is to annihilate every Jew. And Mordecai is in the streets. That's, that's Esther's uncle. And Haman has an issue with, with Mordecai. And, and, and Mordecai seems to rub him up the wrong way even more. So he's, he's getting more and more ammunition. And he builds a gallows. To take out. So when the king goes, he's, I mean, he's going to have a party. He's going to find a reason to annihilate the whole of the Jewish nation. And so Mordecai sticks to, to Esther and says that, has not God put you here for such a time as this? Has God not put you and I where we are right now for such a time as this? Is there something that he wants to do that you and I have not seen yet? Is there, is there a shaking that's going to take place? Are there, are there multitudes that are going to come into the kingdom? But because you and I are so hungry for what God wants to do, is that we've, we've, not, we, we're not, we've not isolated ourselves, but we sure have separated ourselves so that we don't look like the world. And so that when people see us, they can see something's different and they come for help. I believe God wants to do that. And so we pick up it in verse 15. It says, Then Esther said to, sent this reply back to, to Mordecai. Go gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day, and I, may, and, I and my attendants will fast as you do. 
And when this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. So in other words, she as the queen couldn't just approach Xerxes and say, hey, listen, I want to talk to you. He had to call her. And if you went without him calling, you, you could die. And that's what Esther's saying over here. Will you fast? And so if you go and read the whole story, you find that Esther goes and she, she breaks into a meeting that he's having. And she talks to him and invites him to a meal with Haman. And for three days, she does this. And eventually he says, what's going on here? And he says, I want you to tell you, Haman is planning to kill all the Jews and I'm a Jew. And how God unravels that whole thing and the very gallow that Haman built to hang all the Jews, he got hung on himself. I'm showing you the things that happened in the Bible because of prayer and fasting. Third one, a barren woman has her heart's desire fulfilled. If you go and read 1 Samuel chapter 1, you'll read about a man by the name of Elkanah. He had two wives. I'm not too sure how you handle two wives, but he had two. One was named Penina, and the other was named Hannah. Penina was a baby-making machine. She just had babies. <laughs> Hannah was barren. In the culture of the day, you showed and demonstrated your love for your husband with the number of children that you had. So Penina, I can imagine in the in the moments when they passed each other in the passages, in the wherever they stayed, or if they had opportunity to make conversation. Remember, this is Basil just speaking now, okay? He's got an imagination. I'm sure that there was a, a um, what do you call it? Attention, but battering, kind of like taking on. Come on, girl. Where's your love for your, your husband? Hey, look how many, how many children I've given him. What about you? And I'm sure that that must have hurt a lot. And you know, we might not be in that position, but there's many things that have happened where we've been involved and things that have been said that have hurt. They've been like a knife. They've cut deep. And so Panina torments Hannah. And so Hannah, out of desperation, she goes into a fast and she goes to the temple and she's sitting on the steps and she's pouring out her heart to the Lord. But Eli, the priest, he comes and he sees, and he just hears a, sees a mouth moving, but doesn't hear anything coming out of her mouth. He doesn't hear a sound. And so he thinks that she's drunk, and he ridicules her. Come on, put that into the picture. You're having it at home. You come to church, and you're getting it there too. She says to Eli, she says, don't see me as a wicked woman. I'm pouring my heart out to the Lord. And we see that God blesses her. And in Samuel 1.20, it says, basically, that, that, that Samuel was born through Hannah. And in verse 20, it says, So in the course of time, Hannah became pregnant and gave birth to the son. She named him Samuel, saying, Because I have asked the Lord for him. And so we see that God answered a heart, a cry, a desire. But we see that that heart desire became very instrumental in the nation of Israel. Sometimes you and I will need to do some prayer and fasting to birth something that will make a significant difference in the body of Christ. In the time that we're living, in someone's life, in a community, 
in the school that you may be in or represent, or your working environment. This is not a prayer and fasting illustration, but it's just an illustration of the power of prayer that when we go up and we start to cry out to God for certain things. There was a man that worked in a company, um, and his boss was, a, a boss was an atheist and hated Christians and made it very verbal and public. And, and if you were a Christian, I mean, he went for you. And there were three of them. And so they thought that they would go into the basement and they would go and pray. And so when they got there, he, he, this guy said, listen, let's pray for the boss. And the other two were so, so hurt by him, they said, forget it. God can't save that guy. We're not praying for him. So he did. He started to pray for him. And months went by, and one day he was working late, and his office was down underground. And the boss comes, but he's carrying a suitcase. And he's never seen the boss with a suitcase. And the boss comes in, sits down, puts a suitcase on his table, and just looks at him. And he says, can I help you, sir? And the boss doesn't say anything, just sits there. He says, oh, you're right, sir. Doesn't sit, he doesn't say anything, just keeps sitting there, just keep looking at him. And then eventually his boss said, Why are you different? He says, What do you mean I'm different, sir? He says, I've watched you. I've watched you in our staff times. I've watched you when we've partied. I've watched you when we've had staff time together. People have got involved in joking and 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 dropped their but you've maintained your standard. What's different about you? He says, I don't know, sir. All I know is I love Jesus, and my life belongs to him. And that day, that man had the privilege of leading his boss to the Lord. By the way, he thought there was a gun in that box, because <laughs> his boss hated him so much. You see, that's what can happen when you and I mean business with God. Fasting is not a whip, so something that we just wave around and things change. No. Fasting is positioning myself, dying to me to live for Christ. Living for the bigger purpose, the bigger picture. And I know that in every single one of our lives, some of us, we need breakthrough. We need things to shift. We need things to change. We want things to change in the church. We want the glory of God to fall in this place so that you can't even say a word I try and get the, the, my, my mind around the picture in heaven where the elders are on the ground just saying holy, holy, because there's nothing else they can say because the glory of God is just too intense. I think we say it very flippantly. I want to see the Lord. I think if God had to walk inside you, you know, Africans, they say, you lose your blood pressure. You won't be able to talk. You won't be able to move. Because the glory of God is something you and I don't understand. But it says this, sin cannot enter his presence. Cannot enter his presence. God's calling us aside to be a holy people. Holy people. I don't know about you, but I'm excited. I've got, there's, there's a taste on the inside of my mouth that I'm saying, Jesus, nothing has satisfied it yet. But I know we're going to taste something. That's why he says, taste and see that the Lord is good.
there's something that's going to ignite an appetite for more and more and more and more. In Jesus' name. We're going to leave it there. We're going to finish off next week. We're going to talk about the kind of different kind of fasts. And we're going to talk about pulling us back in line. Pulling us back in line. In Jesus' name. Will you close your eyes, bow your heads? We've had a time in God's presence already. And I believe that it was just a good preparation time for the kind of word that we're getting. Jesus, we talk about things, but we don't understand them fully. And I'm asking that today you will take your word and you'll create an appetite in every single one of us that no man can quench and no man has to feed to keep it going. In Jesus' name. In the things that we've allowed this world to keep its claws in us. I pray in the name of Jesus that those things would be broken. That not one thing that the enemy has can be ammunition against us. In Jesus' name. Every disappointment, every hurt, every unfulfilled expectation, every desire that's contrary to your word. Every single one of those, Lord, we nail them to the cross. And we give them to you. And we thank you that, Lord Jesus, you will continually fulfill your word. And it says, he who the Son sets free is free indeed. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. In Jesus' name. I thank you for that. I pray that you would touch every one of us, that you would empower us, my God, with something more than we've had before to be able to stand and resist. Your word calls us to resist the devil and he will flee. Give us the ability to resist, I pray. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Will you help us love people in spite of how different they are? May we see your hand in them. May we see the things that you put in them. Lord, you would help us to become instruments to bring those out of people. In Jesus' name, I thank you. I thank you. Maybe in this place right now, and, and there's just stuff that you know I need to let go of. I've been holding on to things that I should have let go of long ago. Will you do that now? Not my will. Your will be done. In Jesus' name. Soka baroseke. Sabaranda makoto boreshe. Rembronga zike nataba de gezende. Ombre siki randa bage sokonda basha. Nimbre sakayanda namashaka babianda. Do as you said that you would build your church and the gates of hell shall not prevail shall not prevail in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. We thank you and we give you praise. Every head bow, every eye closed. Maybe you're sitting in this place tonight. I know there are no visitors. But maybe just hearing the word of God tonight, maybe your heart has been challenged. You know what? I'm actually not where I thought I am or I should be. 
And you're making that decision again, God, I'm going to put you first in my life. I'm making you again the Lord and Savior of my life. I'm realizing more and more I've been maybe playing a game. But tonight, I want to set myself apart. Will you put up your hand very quickly? Every head bowed, every every eye closed. Is there somebody tonight in this place you say, that's me. I want to rededicate my life to Jesus Christ. I'm over with that old way of life. Is there anybody in this place? In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Is your hand up, Pietrice? Okay, is there anybody else that's saying yes? Maybe you're visiting. Sorry, I, I missed the visitor's part. So if you're visiting us today and you don't know Jesus Christ, I know I've been talking about something that's quite heavy, but maybe you've sensed the real love that God has for you and you want to give your life to him tonight. Is there anybody? In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. I don't want you to feel embarrassed or on this, put on the spot here. This is people that love you. They want to see you thrive in God. They want to see the hand of God just work in you, that you have a relationship with God that he intended you to have. Is there anybody else? Anybody else? Anybody else? Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Thank you, my Father. Thank you, my Father. We worship you. We worship you. So, Father, we pray for Pietrus tonight. In Jesus' name. Will you touch him now? Only you can change us. And I'm asking that right now that you would lavish your love over him, that there'll be no condemnation that the enemy will want to throw at him to say, you're no good, you'll never make this race. We break those thoughts over his life in Jesus' name. But Father, we thank you that you lavish your love that he would know. And that as he confesses you as Lord of his life tonight, that God, you would help him to walk with you. I declare what your word says. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, and behold, the new has come in Jesus' name. So now we thank you, and we celebrate this moment with him. Father, we thank you that the angels in heaven rejoice. So, Father, we rejoice tonight in Jesus' name. We thank you for the great victory. The enemy has tried and tried and tried, and he's not succeeded because you are a faithful God. You're a faithful God in the name of Jesus. Come on, won't we celebrate this moment with Pietrus right now? Come on, shout out. Thank him. Thank God. Father, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, it's victory, Jesus. It's victory for you. We give your name praise. We give your name praise. So, Father, I commit everybody to you tonight. I thank you that this week is going to be different. I pray that the things that I've shared, Lord, I'm asking, Spirit of God, will you help us understand it? I bless every home. I bless every person. I speak your peace over them. By the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Well, it was physically hot. 